0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. Alright, cool. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege to herald God's word today. Uh, the last Sunday of the year. And uh, it's a privilege to come back to uh, these precious brothers and sisters in Christ here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Paul. Uh, other people in the church probably know me as beacon. Uh, you can call me whatever you want. Um, and Uh, I was here the last five years prior to this internship in Portland, Uh, so I have made my return here uh, for the holidays. And so, with that, uh, I want us to consider and think through. Well, in 2020, the Summer Olympics it's going to be held in Tokyo, and each country that participates, uh, they will send their most elite athletes to represent their country. And for what purpose? Well, these athletes. They're gonna battle it out for the gold medal to bring honor, to bring glory to their country as representatives. And so it is with our passage today uh, that God empowers the church as his representative on earth. as little embassies or colonies that represent him. Uh, So with that, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter two. The bulletin is actually a bit incorrect. It says, Acts 2.42, although we will go through all of chapter 2. So, sorry if you guys thought it was just one verse. Uh, It can be found on page uh, 909 in the Black Cube Bible in front of you. And if you're unfamiliar with the the, the scriptures, uh, the big numbers are going to be the chapter reference numbers, the small numbers are going to be the (coughs) verse reference numbers. And So I think that might be helpful for you guys as you kind of follow along. Uh, Because we are going to cover a larger portion of scripture today, I won't read it all the way through all at once, uh, hopefully to save us from uh, reading a large section of scripture. Uh, but I will go section by section, uh, and hopefully we're going to examine and exposit what the main point of about that. And so uh, if you're thinking about altitudes, you can see different things. Uh, rather than going in the microscopic level today, we're going to kind of go bird's eye view, and we're going to examine uh, What's going on in chapter 2 as a whole in relation to Acts?
1: Uh, so, with that,
0: I will give us the main point of this passage and the main point of this sermon, which is God pours out the Holy Spirit and unites his people through the gospel in the church. I'll repeat that again. God pours out the Holy Spirit and unites his people through the gospel in the church. And a little catchphrase that uh, I'll be using will be. Spirit-filled, gospel-proclaiming church community. Spirit-filled, gospel-proclaiming church community. And so with the first point, we're going to see the pouring out of the Spirit, or Spirit-filled. So would you follow along with me as I read Acts chapter 2, we're starting with verse 1, and we'll go to 13. The day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them others. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Hades, and the El- Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, in Asia, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Ara- Ara- Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, walking, said, They are filled with new wine. Luke, the author of Acts, is writing the part two to the book of Luke. And you can think of Luke as the Acts of Jesus and Acts as part two, the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so Luke is recording this book of Acts and examining uh, what is happening with Jesus dying, raising from the dead, and ascending into heaven. And so in chapter 1, Jesus himself promises his disciples to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them so that they would be witnesses so here in chapter 2 we see that these disciples, they were in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were in Pentecost. If you look along with me in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So all of these Jewish people were coming back to Jerusalem for this major feast. You know, in our Asian context, it could be like the Lunar New Year. We all go back home. Or it's the... uh, in October, for our Hispanic friends, it's uh, the they were It's it's a time that we all come back together. And that's what's happening with the Jews. Uh there are major feasts in their history and culture, like Passover, and Pentecost is another one of those feasts, which is actually 50 days after Passover. And so they all come together, all in one house, and they're waiting, as Jesus promised them, that the Holy Spirit Then what happens? A great sound comes, and wind fills the house, and the Spirit fills these people. And we see two clues on where this is coming from. First of all, we see that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What did they do? First sign, we see they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And number two, we also see in verse three. This the uh, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So two signs. And very interesting. Fire, and then these utterances in different languages. Remember, these are Jewish people speaking in different languages. Now, there's so many questions we could ask here about spiritual gifts, about are these gifts of tongues and languages, are they still active today? Was this fire literally on their top of the heads or not? And those are all such good questions, but we're not going to address them uh, because that's not the main point, and we just don't have enough time to go over them. But the main point that we see in this passage at Pentecost is that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. But I do want to address these two signs a little bit. And what's the significance of these signs? Uh, and I'm going to go with the first sign of languages first. So we see this mighty Russian with a crowd then forms. So if you see in verse 5, these, the God uh, men from nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. I mean, it would be very similar if we had an earthquake or a gunshot outside. We would all be alarmed. That's what's going on here in the Pentecost. The crowds around this situation in Jerusalem are wondering, what's happening here? sudden, they hear utterances in languages. And we just see from Cappadocia Pontus. It, these are all the languages in that time, in that particular context. But what are they saying in the languages? The languages are actually the mighty works of God. So in the languages, these Jewish people are speaking the praising God this is a reverse of the curse in Babel in Genesis 11, where in Babel, in Genesis 11, we see all the nations, they all come together, all the people of God, they're not praising God, but they're making a name for themselves. Whereas here, in Pentecost, it's the reverse. They're coming together, and in different languages, they're praising God. Where the languages in Genesis 11, they were a curse on man. God is reversing that and, and bringing these different utterances to praise God. And this is a foretaste of how the Gentiles would be brought in to the people of God. And if you look with me uh, one chapter before, in chapter 1, verse 8, we see this foretaste that Jesus promises uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So already here in chapter two that we see a fulfillment and a little foretaste of the Gentiles coming in, these languages. So that's the first side of the language, that's the significance. The second significance of the fire, it's interesting, right? W- w- why fire? Once again, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So in the Old Testament, we see that fire was a symbol for God's presence. And we can see that in many instances. Just to name a few, we see that Moses and the burning bush. uh, We see God leading the Israelites uh, in a pillar of fire. Uh, We see that God's presence is no longer residing in that physical temple, but residing, God is residing in God's people. Uh, and, and this is a, a distinguishing of that the Spirit is being poured out dwelling in these people. So are we waiting for another Pentecost? Just like this. The answer is no. This is a unique event in redemptive history. And we know this because this is a fulfillment of what Jesus just promised in Acts 1.8. So, so we are not looking for Pentecosts of this kind of nature. Uh, we're not waiting for it because this is a one-time event where the pouring out of the Spirit has come in a unique, special way. However, we do have application for us today. Uh, we see from this first section, on chapter 2, that the Christian life is filled with the Spirit, uh, that the Spirit indwells in the Christian. Uh, For what purpose? To praise God. Uh, Our lips are to praise God. Those who are filled with the Spirit, praise God. And just as Jason has uh, prayed earlier in the service, a prayer of praise, that we ought to, as as followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, our lips are to go to the praise of His name, the mighty works of God. that ought to shape how we use our our language, our words, go to the praise of his name. Uh, So that's what we see in our first point, the outpour of the Holy Spirit. And now in our second point, we we look to Peter's explanation of what's happening in this event, uh, namely the proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation of the gospel. Uh, So look with me at verse 14 and I'm going to read until verse 40 here. So would you follow along with me? But Peter, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosened the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord almost before me." He is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the past of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath, to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his fleshly corrupt. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seen and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he himself says, For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We'll pause there. So we see Pentecost, pouring out the Spirit, and now Peter enters the scene. One of the disciples and apostles of Jesus in his ministry, uh, he explains what has occurred. He assures the crowd. It, they're not drunk. They're, it's, it's nine a.m. They're not drinking at this too. It's too early. And so the crowd, they're saying, "Well, what does this mean?" And they're trying to navigate. Well, they're kind of speaking funny languages and something crazy. But <coughs> and Peter says, "This it's a fulfillment prophecy from Joel." So he explains the situation with the word of God. And so you don't have to turn there, uh, but Peter, he quotes a promise from Joel chapter 2, that God will pour out his spirit unto all people, young, old, women, men, Jews, Gentiles. This promise was fulfilled at a foretaste here at Pentecost. Uh, namely, in the last days, that G, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, that the spirit will be poured out. And God has always been concerned with fulfilling his promises. But we see a foretaste of this fulfillment here in this prophecy. That God will do many wonders uh, before the day of the Lord, namely the great day where the Lord will make all things new and he will judge and consummate the new heavens and the new earth. But what Peter Peter also does in this uh, quotation with Joel is he does another fulfillment, yes, amen, of Pentecost but he also connects with another mighty act that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter is connecting <coughs> the name of the Lord here in Joel with another Lord, namely Jesus. So what Peter is doing, he's, he's making these connections that what Joel was prophesying is fulfilled, yes, in the Pentecost, but also in Jesus Christ. He does this by uh, using two other scriptures, namely Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, to show that this Jesus is the Lord. And so he does this by showing uh, the sovereign work of God. Uh, so that will be a kind of our sub-point here, the sovereign work of God in Jesus. So what did Jesus come to do? Look, look with me at verse 22. Peter just said, listen up, listen well. This Jesus... He did mighty works and wonders and signs. And if we look at uh, the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we know that Jesus, truly God, truly man, he fed the 5,000, he raised the dead like Lazarus from the grave, Uh, Jesus healed people from leprosy, Jesus walked on water, Uh, and and it counts on and on and on that Jesus did mighty works. But the heart and center of what Jesus came to do was to die on the cross. Uh, Peter further explains that this is no accident. Look with me at verse 23. This Jesus, who was delivered up according to man's plans? Nope. According to chance? Nope. But according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was all along God's plan, that Jesus was to go to the cross, to be delivered up, to be crucified and killed as a substitute for our sin. So the creator of the universe sovereignly who upholds all things by the power of his word moves along the plan of salvation to Jesus to come this is why we celebrate Christmas, the Incarnation, that Jesus, king in flesh, lived the perfect life, went to the cross to die. But in God's mighty power, Jesus did not stay in the grave. This is why Peter quotes Psalm 16. He quotes David, uh, because David is prophesying in Psalm 16 that the Holy One will not see corruption. The Holy One uh, will, will not die. And so what Peter is doing is saying, well, that's what David said, but David died. And, and, and if you look with me in verse 29, it says, I have great confidence that this David, he died, he was buried, and his tomb's here with us. So what David was prophesying as a prophet, that's not about himself. It's about someone else to come. And Peter is saying, yes, that is Jesus, the Lord. Uh, so that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was not just another man, but truly God, truly man. Uh, Yet again, another work that Jesus did was he was exalted at the right hand of God. So he was raised to new life, ascended to the heavens, and he's exalted at the right hand of God, meaning that Jesus has this authority and kingship that he is the Lord God who defeats sin and death. And from this authority, can then pour out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to His people. And so Jesus, He's done all these mighty works from His incarnation, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, as He ascends to heaven, and even just as He sits on the right hand of God, interceding for us. All underneath His sovereign work. And that's what God does. But yet there is human responsibility. Uh, if you notice, uh, Peter says, you crucified and killed, and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's a responsibility from man. Uh, verse 21 and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, uh, there is a response from man. Uh, all of us are responsible for our actions. And so the Bible lays out these two truths that God is sovereign. And that man is responsible, and they're actually compatible. Uh, and in light of the sovereign work of God in Jesus Christ, we must ask the question, well, well, what shall we do? How do we respond? And that question, if you look with me at verse 37, is the same question that these crowds ask. It said, what shall we do? And if you know yourself not to follow Jesus, that's the question you need to ask yourself today. What do you do in light of God's sovereign work? What is Peter's response? Peter's response is to repent, believe, to, to, to call upon the name of the Lord. It's to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is what you need to do. So if you do not know Jesus, if you have not follow Jesus, I call you to repent believe. Call upon Christ. If you want to know more, feel free to talk to me after the service. I'll be there in the back. I'll talk to the, uh, the elders here. Uh, this is an important thing to ask because this sovereign work, this, we need to deal with who Jesus is. His work. So it is an urgent call. You need to respond. It is a costly call that would require your entire life. Uh, But it is a worthy call because it is the sovereign Lord. The creator uh, that creates and upholds all things deserves all glory and honor. Uh, By way of application, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, this is a call. Just as Peter is proclaiming the gospel, we too need to proclaim an evangelist. Those who are filled with the Spirit now proclaim the gospel. Uh, we must herald this sovereign work of God, of saving sinners. Uh, we need to pre- preach the gospel. And, and if, even if you read uh, Peter's mini-sermon sermonette here, uh, at least what is recorded is about two minutes. Uh, so I think we need to challenge ourselves. Are we able to preach the gospel in two minutes or less? Uh, do we know our way around the gospel uh, where we can Just herald it wherever we are. uh, Making the connections to Christ. Uh, And clearly we see in Peter's example here that evangelizing, proclaiming the gospel, it is not sharing testimonies. It is not doing good deeds in the hopes that your uh, unbelieving coworkers or friends will ask you more. It is to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ and crucified respect. So I, I encourage you guys, uh, to, to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. Because that is the only way to salvation. But did you also notice uh, this free offer of the gospel? Uh, this, this call and response that it goes to all peoples. Uh, again, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Uh, verse 21. Uh, in verse 39, this promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off. And, and here's a qualifying statement everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Uh, It goes to all peoples. Uh, So we need to be bold in offering the gospel to all peoples. And I think the temptation is to think, oh, maybe they won't respond or they'll respond negatively. Uh, But just like Peter, we need to be clear about preaching the gospel and heralding this good news. So so far we've seen uh, in Pentecost, Pouring out the Spirit of the Spirit, spirit Spirit-filled. We see in this section, uh, Peter's sermon of the proclamation of the gospel, uh, gospel gospel-proclaiming. And then thirdly, we see the public display of this gospel in the church. So we have Spirit-filled, gospel-preaching, proclaiming church communities. And So this is our last and third point, the public display of the gospel in the church, the church Uh, Would you follow along with me as I uh, read verse 41 to the end? So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common they were selling their possessions, their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I hope you're noticing by now that God is gathering his people into the church. And and, uh, just on a side note, as we're reading narrative, uh, so Lou uh, and and Acts here, sometimes a helpful tool to to see what's the main point is to see kind of, uh, is there a change in the characters? And I hope you saw that change, but in Pentecost, we see kind of this group of Jewish people and all together. Uh, and then Peter preaches the gospel, and then we see a chain. Now, they're devoted together. Uh, they, they're gathering in the church. And even though the word church is not here, we see this devotion uh, to the apostle teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to the prayers. And there, in verse 41, they were added that day, about 3,000 sold. Well, what were they added to? Well, in this context, uh, once again, it is added to the local church. Uh, and this is fascinating. Well, what's going on here with uh, this 3,000? Uh, actually, before we get to the, the 3,000, uh, notice, uh, notice again the flow right here. It's uh, the Gospels being put like Peter says, repent and be baptized. Uh, and that baptism is just a, it's a symbol of personal faith faith, repentance of faith in Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of union with Christ. And so with baptism here, well, on initial reading, right, you're like, is Peter saying like you need to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. Uh, why? Because it's those who call upon the name of the Lord that will be saved. Uh, it's repentance of faith. Uh, but what Peter is doing with this repent and be baptized, is that the baptism, it's kind of the expression of that union with Christ, that those who have been uh, united with Christ in death has also been raised to new life, uh, regenerated by the Spirit. And so here, even in baptism, it's this public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But this personal faith, it's public. They were added to the church as a public declaration that is happening with baptism, and so they are added to the, the church. So there's this interconnection with repentance of faith and, and baptism, and there's a theological significance to this three thousand souls that were added that day. Remember the the context. This is Pentecost. What is Pentecost in reference to? Uh, and you don't have to turn there, but it's Exodus 32. It's the giving of the law. So, as as God saved the Israelites out of Egypt, he celebrated Passover, and Moses goes to the Mount Sinai, brings back the law on the tablets, that's why they celebrate. Pentecost. And in Exodus 32, what's happening is Rather than accepting the word of God, rather than worshiping Yahweh, they built a golden cap. They they, they went to idols. And actually, as God judged that idolatry by killing 3,000 people. And so here in Acts, the context of Pentecost, and connecting it to Exodus 32, particularly verse 28, we see that the judgment is, is 3,000 were killed, whereas here 3,000 were saved, and they were brought into the people of God, namely the church. And so what God is doing in, in Exodus is that He's forming His people, of the Israelites, with the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. But here in the new covenant, is making the church spirit-filled, gospel proclaiming, in this church community that God is in the business of making. For what purpose? Once again, remember the promise that Jesus made in Acts 1.8? That he, he will pour out his spirit so that there would be witnesses? It, it's not just a plural of Christians that God is using uh, to, to, to reach and evangelize the world. God is using the means of the church. Uh, the, the, the local church as an embassy, as a little colony, a picture, a representative of God. So what does this mean? That, that means, uh, if you uh, profess to be a Christian, you need to be a member of a local church. And I don't mean membership like hospital or 24-hour fitness membership, uh, but this membership where it is you're uniting, covenanting with a local body. The local body where you are known and are being known by one another. And what does this church community look like? Well, praise God that uh, we see in Acts 42 uh, to follow along with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. Uh, they, they, they came together. Uh, verse uh, 46, they attended the temple, breaking bread in their homes. They were doing life together. And, and remember, th- th- there wasn't this like, we'll, we'll try it out, we'll check out this church. This is just a scene where they just came together because they knew it's Christ that unites, the spirit that unites so I won't go into the details of all of the uh, particulars of devotion to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship, and which I think will be great conversation points um, at lunch. Uh, I encourage you guys to, to talk about what that might look like. Uh, but I wanted to kind of just think through some, some bigger categories uh, of what is happening here. Here, with with what the church ought to be shaped by and look like. Uh, So first, we see that the church gathers. The church gathers. They're doing life together, Uh, and and we see that they are gathering uh, together at the temple. Together, they are breaking bread in their homes together. Uh, They have things in common together. They're devoting themselves uh, to. Teaching to fellowship to these things together, uh, so they're gathered together. Uh, and it makes no sense for me to be a member and not be known or to know other members. This makes no sense. Uh, and, and we see that in this life together is uh, breaking of bread in the Lord's Supper, verse forty-two, but also a received their food in verse forty-six with glad and generous hearts. So there is this kind of, we're doing life together, we're sharing meals together. We're we're really brothers and sisters in Christ in the same family together. And and, uh, members of First Baptist Church here, uh, this is just a component of what this meaningful membership or meaningful church community looks like. And I think we need to figure that out uh, in terms of what that would look like here at First Baptist. Uh, You know, at at Portland, uh, the context is different. It's more of a city life. We, we can walk to a lot of places. Uh, so church life, we want to use the principles here in Acts 2, and we were trying to live it out in, in, a, in a different context. And so I think we too here need to ask the same questions of what does this church community look like in the 21st century, uh, in a perhaps a, a context where we have to drive a lot. Uh, and that might mean uh, we need to figure out creative ways uh, to do this life-on-life community. <laughs> it might mean uh, it, it's going to be difficult. Uh, we would have to make sacrifices. Uh, it might mean that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to look like we go to hang out at Starbucks. Uh, it, it may look like, you know, as I, I've seen uh, the past six months that i have been gone, just people going to buy all this trap and, and doing working out together. Uh, it might look like uh, people coming over to each other's families, uh, their homes, uh, to, to have fellowship and bloodshed or meals together. It might look like working single after work, going to a family, and just joining each other's company. Uh, but, but I think this text is saying, uh, we just need to do things together. Uh, and, and there's this unity that we see there, uh, that the church has and does life together the second component that we see is that the church unites, uh, once again, the spirit unites, it's the gospel that unites the church, uh, but here again, I just want to highlight some of these words, uh, we see in verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common, tending the temple together, uh, pre- uh, they di- distributed the proceeds to all, as any had there's this idea of unity that's being expressed here in in, in this church, in Acts chapter 2. And I think that means it requires, to get to the depth of that, it requires trust, uh, it requires safety, where we can make needs known. Um, how, How are they to know the needs that they are selling their belongings and giving it up to other people? But we need to have honest conversations about what needs to have and not to uh, brush them off or to minimize our sufferings or to minimize our, our needs. And, and just to be clear, uh, I don't mean preferences. Uh, I mean needs, uh, particular areas that we can address uh, these issues uh, that we may have. There's no perfect... Uh, And so, in light of that, though, how do we pursue a a community uh, that that is devoting themselves to to God and to one another? Uh, And to illustrate this, uh, I I think, uh, as a nurse, I've been working as an oncology nurse uh, the last couple of years, uh, and every morning on my day shift, I would always do what we call a head-to-toe assessment. A head-to-toe assessment. What that is, basically, is... Uh, We're kind of going through the major systems of the human body uh, to see if it's healthy or not. Uh, To see, okay, is the lung, I'm listening to the lungs. Is the lungs working properly? Uh, Listening to the heart, is the heart beating properly? Uh, I'm looking at uh, the neurosensors. I'm looking at, uh, and I'm doing every morning, and if I'm working back to back to back days, I'm still doing an assessment every morning. Uh, why is that? It's because uh, we need to identify the areas of health, but also the areas of need. Uh, the, the areas that we do need to talk, talk to the doctor and say, hey, we have a particular issue here. Let's try to figure out what do we need to do to resolve that. Is it a medication? Is it physical therapy? Is it, and, and whatever it is, uh, we need to figure out how do we resolve it. And so, too, it is here with this church, even though this is a brand new church, in Acts chapter 2, it's the birth of the church, uh, we see it in the rest of the New Testament, it was not perfect. If you look at the rest of Acts, we see Acts chapter 6, there was a problem with widows that were not being fed. So what did the church do? They said, okay, well, we've got to figure out how to resolve this. And they formed part of the uh, In 1 in Corinthians, there are problems of pride, there are problems of uh, people people celebrate the Lord's Supper correctly, and so what do they do? They have to be corrected and figure out, how do we move forward, and how do we grow into hell? Uh, but, but the, the field that, that is driving this is, once again, we see that the Spirit fills God's people. The Gospel is being proclaimed, and the Word of God is what is shaping, the Apostle teaching is what drives and shapes these churches. So I hope uh, at this church, and whatever church that you guys are a part of or become a member of in the future, I hope we can pursue a a church that gathers and does life together, and unites together for the the glory of God. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, God has ordained local churches to be representatives or witnesses to the world. That there's a little picture, a little, little reflection of God. In local churches and it, it looks like a church community that is indwelt by the spirit, it, it looks like a church that proclaims the gospel and it looks like a church that is united and investing in one another And right. so with that, let's pray our father in heaven we praise you that you are the God of unity. you are the God who makes your promises, keeps your promises. It's crazy that you defeat sin, and death, and resurrection. So right? we confess how we are afraid to herald the God. Uh, we, we confess that we, we are afraid of man, and we do not want to be vulnerable, perhaps for our own selfish reasons that we hide but we thank you that it's by your spirit that breathes new life. It's by your spirit that grows us and matures us more into the image of Christ. And so we pray that you would build unity here at 1st And we pray that you would uh, grow this church to pursue deep belief that is supernatural, only brought by the spirit of God. Uh, we, we pray that there would be a, a, a decrease of pride and an increase.
1: Resting, finished work of Jesus. pray,